Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. This is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. Uh, I'm part of this team here and just grateful uh, that you decided to join us uh, here this morning. Before I get into today's message, I want to talk about, there's a little card on your, on your seat. Um, you know, school is starting up uh, this Monday, and um, not everyone has a card because we didn't think that everyone would, would take one on every single seat because I know you're part of families and stuff like that too. Um, but what we would love for you to do is actually take one of the cards and uh, write a prayer, like pick a school uh, near you and just write a simple little prayer of encouragement uh, to uh, the staff and you can mail it off to the school, okay? Um, and so uh, if you take it, do it. Um, um, but this is like just a little way uh, for us to just say like, hey, we're, we're praying for you as a, just a level of encouragement. Um, nothing weird either, okay? Like don't, like if you're like, is this weird? Then it probably is. Like so like just like something simple um, and just encouraging to the administration and the school around you just to know that they're being prayed for, all right? Um, it's a beautiful thing that we can do and a little simple thing that you can do to just pray for the schools that around you because what's happening in our schools is a really, really big deal. And what teachers are going through and what uh, principals and administration is going through is a really big deal right now. And um, they need to be covered in prayer and um, be built up in that. And so it would be a great way uh, to, to connect with the school um, near you. Um, if you're uh, here for the first time, uh, you walked into a fun series. Uh, we are going to be talking uh, through the book of Revelation for uh, I don't even know how long. Because I'm done saying how long a series is going to be at this point. So we're going to be in it for uh, a while. I'll just say that. And um, this book, how many guys have ever read Revelation before? It's okay if not. Um, it's a confusing book, right? It's, there's a lot going on in it. Um, there's been a lot of conflict and arguments around it. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, how many guys were raised to some level where maybe you were, if you're judging emotions, fear was the primary emotion when it came around um, revelation. Okay, like for some of us, that was part of our upbringing. Um, for if, if you've never been like involved in this book at all, we're going to give like a good background here today. Um, today's going to be more of like a 30,000 foot view. And then uh, next week, we're actually going to go to the end of the book and go to the end and talk about that. Then we're going to go back to the beginning and just start working our way through. We're not going to go verse by verse necessarily. We're going to go maybe section by section and then uh, see how long it takes. And so we'll uh, do that. But this book has been um, debated for so many reasons. This book has, has produced so many different things too. Like it's produced a lot of theories. It's produced uh, a lot of music has come out of this book. Like so much music has come out of this book because of some of the phrases that are in it. So much art. Uh, and so if you look at, uh, I have a few paintings here that are kind of famous, like just throughout time, like there's been, because there's so much, the imagery in the book is so cool. And, uh, and so artists have taken this and done so much with it. So you have this, the fall of the rebel angels here, um, or maybe this one, like the great red dragon by William Blake. This is a very famous uh, painting. Uh, and then uh, there's this one here, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So there's all of this like really good imagery for people do art off of, and it has been, I mean, for so long. I mean, uh, th this book was probably written somewhere in the late first uh, century, and they estimate somewhere 
somewhere like maybe like 80 to 90. Um, and, uh, and so there's, for a long period of time, artists have been using this book for incredible imagery. But this book has also created a lot of angst in people and trying to figure out uh, some of what it actually means. And, uh, and people made bold predictions and all this other stuff. And, and we'll get into some of those things uh, as well. But, but here's what I want you, like right off the top, like just a little thing that I, so if you take nothing else away, nothing else away today, um, I want you to, to know this. I, I wrote this down because I was like, all right, if there's one phrase that people can kind of just get with, and that's just this, stay grounded, the gospel works. All right, I want you to say that, ready? Stay grounded, the gospel works. One more time, stay grounded, the gospel works. The reason is because actually the writer of this letter, that's what he's actually trying to get everyone to know. The, the gospel works. The, and when I say the gospel, I mean the message of Jesus. It works. Stay grounded. You don't need to get fearful. Uh, you don't need to freak out about things. You don't need to try and uh, have a crazy map in your office about signs that have been fulfilled. Like you don't, you don't need any of those things. Stay grounded. The gospel works. You see, when you can stay grounded and uh, understand that the gospel works, what, what can start to happen is you can appreciate the beauty of things and be aware of what isn't beautiful, the ugliness of things. So and there's a lot of beauty in our country. There is. Like, I know it's easy to be so negative about America, and it's so easy to kind of, like, um, chip away at it. Uh, but there's a lot of beautiful things about living in America. The, the fact that you can be so negative about America is a beautiful thing about America, right? Like, it's like, like so there's a lot of beautiful things uh, about America, a lot of beautiful things that have, have been brought up throughout history about America. But there's also a lot of ugly things. And we just got to be honest about it. All right? And so part of what Revelation does, honestly, the whole time is, is really pushing in on this for people. Like uh, getting us to see like what's really in front of you and how much, um, two of the big questions that are, are asked throughout the book of Revelation is who is Babylon and how has Babylon influenced you? All right? So we'll see that like a lot. Like who is Babylon and how has Babylon influenced you? And so um, that kind of phrase and that kind of thinking, uh, we'll, we'll just see that all throughout probably every single week. Like we'll talk about that. But, but there's also, like, if we stay grounded and understand that gospel works, we don't get hung up on fear. We don't get hung up on conspiracies. We don't get hung up on, uh, hey, did you see this video? Like, hey, uh, did, you, did you get that book where that person said that, man, because of this sign and then this sign and this sign, man, we've only got seven years left, right? Like, all that stuff is to sell books and manipulate, to make money and manipulate people. You want to know why you know that? Because they've been wrong 100% of the time. And so, so it's important then to, to engage this letter that we're going to read in the same way that a first century person would have engaged this letter. Let me tell you what a first century person was not doing. Reading this letter and saying this, I can't wait till America gets here. Just think about that for a second. A first century person was not being like, hmm, I'm waiting for this thing to come up because I'm just waiting for America. So we can pump the brakes a little bit on some of this stuff because it's important then to start seeing like, then why is this book so powerful? 
Why is it in our Bibles? Like, there's got to be something here to it. And this is a, I mean, when I tell you this is a brilliant, brilliant book, it's brilliant. It is uh, the, the author of it, and we'll talk about who that author is in a second. The author of it makes over, at a minimum, 600 references to the Old Testament. At a minimum. Some people think it's even more than that. In the way that he even writes um, in this book, like he'll, he'll use like little phrases, and we'll read a part of Revelation 1 at the end. Uh, he'll use like uh, little phrases, um, but he doesn't use exact phrasing, so you can't just simply just go, uh, oh, that's like uh, Genesis 3, 8, uh, for instance. Like what he'll do is he'll say things and write things in a way that makes you think, oh, that's Genesis 3, Genesis 5, Genesis 15, Genesis 48, Genesis 50. And like, so you have to read all of it and understand all of it. And so the way that he's written, I mean, it is brilliant. I mean, brilliant, 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 brilliant. And so this, this book isn't about predictions. It's about getting us to stay grounded because the gospel works. Stay grounded, the gospel works. So if you're brand new to this whole faith thing, we're going to dive in a little bit. I'm going to try and not make this like drinking from a fire hose. Like my first run through that I did on this, I was like, oh, I can't do that. Like there's like a, uh, so, but there's going to be a lot today. If you like taking notes, like you're going to like this. Um, it won't be like this every single sermon, but if you're brand new uh, to all of this, I'm going to try and give you a large overview, but just keep going back to stay, go- uh, stay grounded. The gospel works, okay? In case we get uh, a little lost along the way, but I'll do my best. Here are a few, th- few key, uh, key things about Revelation to start off. Um, can we put the graphic back up there really quick? Just really quick, if we can get it. So I want you to, to see this, because this is, might be the, the most important thing. Do you guys see an S up there? Stop saying revelations, okay? Um, that might be, like, if you walk away today, it'd be like, it's not revelations, okay? So it is revelation, all right? There is no S on that, all right? So it's a revelation. A guy by the name of John wrote this book. We don't know what John, all right? We don't know what John. Um, in all likelihood, it wasn't the same John that wrote uh, the Gospel of John. Um, it might be, might be the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, um, but we don't even necessarily know who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we just know that he identifies himself as John, okay? And so we, we don't fully know who it was, but we know that this John was part of that kind of the early church, an original crew of people um, that walked with the disciples. And um, so we know that piece. Um, and we know that he was uh, connected to, to Jesus in a very powerful, incredible way. And the people there like looked at him as a voice of authority. So uh, there, we do know that, but we don't know uh, which John uh, it was. Um, this is a letter. So you will see in, here in just a few minutes, this is a letter. You see like grace and peace is the way that they would start letters. And we'll see this. So this was a, what was known as a circular letter. And uh, it was a circular letter to, to seven churches. But uh, when it was done, um, this circular letter means like it was given to all the churches. All right. We'll, we'll see this in a second that it was written to seven specific churches, but also to um, all the churches. And I'll explain uh, why it was done that way here as well. Uh, but it's a letter that was written to people to encourage them, right, and to build them up. Uh, a guy by the name of Michael Gorman, who's an expert in uh, Revelation, he, he says this, and I love this quote. He says, Revelation is not about getting raptured out of this world, but about faithful discipleship in this world. Okay, too often when we people, when we talk about the book of Revelation, uh, we, we think it's about going somewhere else or whatever, but but really what Revelation is, and, you, and again, we'll, we will get into this every single week. What Revelation is, 
It is about courage. It's about resilience. It's about hope. It's about uh, understanding that the gospel works so that uh, you can stay grounded in that. It's, it's about faithful discipleship in this world, okay, within this world. And so, uh, again, a lot of times when we talk about this book, it's like, what's going to happen at the end? What's going to happen at the end? It's like, that's actually not what Revelation is about. It's not, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the end uh, next week, but it's not actually what this, this letter is actually about. So, so what is Revelation? All right, so what is Revelation? It's a letter. Um, and to how many churches did I say? Seven. Seven. Uh, seven uh, again, you'll see a lot of uh, symbols uh, with numbers and animals uh, uh, throughout the readings. Uh, seven is the perfect number. Okay, it's the number of completion. So in the Bible, uh, either seven or multiples of seven always mean like a really big deal in terms of uh, what it's pointing towards. And so it's the number of completion. Six is the number of man. It's, a, it's like an imperfect number. And so we'll see things with seven and six, and I'll talk about that in a second too. But seven is this perfect number. So seven means complete. So this letter that was given was to seven specific churches, but it also means it's for the church in general, the complete church to the seven churches, all right? So this is a letter that was given. Uh, it's apocalyptic, pastoral and prophetic. Apocalyptic just means, that's what Revelation is, the revealed. That's what the word apocalypse means. It's apocalyptic. Something is revealed in it. So even when you'll see this right off the top, um, when John writes this letter, he's like, this has been revealed. So it's in front of us. We're not trying to predict anything. It's, it's in front of us. Something has been uh, revealed. It's pastoral. If something's pastoral, that means it's encouraging. It's comforting. It's challenging. There's a strength. Like there's, there's some like warfare like language in here that's like a challenge to us. And there's going to be some harsh things that we uh, will address that's a challenge. Um, but this letter should be a comfort it should empower and encourage us to faithfully follow Jesus. So we've got to have that peace. Fear is not a part of this. Uh, it's uh, prophetic. And when the prophets, when you read like a prophet in the Bible, when someone's like being prophetic, they're not just, they're not just like saying what's going to happen in the future. What they're doing is actually like they're talking about what's presently happening or something that's happened in the past. And then they're saying because of what's happening presently and what's happened in the past, let me tell you what's now going to happen because of it. And so it's taking what's already happened and being kind of prophetic voice within that. It's looking at what's already happened. It's looking, that's why when I said earlier that John uh, actually has at a minimum 600 references to the Old Testament. He, he's going back. He's, he's using this prophetic voice. He's going back to all these other things. He's like, let me tell you, like all this stuff that's already happened and what we see presently and what we've already gone through. Let me tell you what God's going to keep doing. He's a prophetic uh, voice uh, in this. Here are some ways to, to read Revelation. You can be, uh, you can read it, it's called preterist, which just means uh, all the symbols were for the first century, it's not for us, all right? That's one way uh, to read it. Um, I would say the minority of people uh, read it that way. Um, you can be a historicist, which is that the, the letter is really about a general look at history, and that's it. Um, and it's not really specific. Uh, you can be an idealist, all right? Now, this is where I, personally, this is what I think that we should, this is how we should read uh, the letter of Revelation. Um, but you can be an idealist, uh, a guy by the name of Scott McKnight who wrote a wonderful book uh, on uh, Revelation that just came out this year, actually, or last year. Uh, he says this. He says, the book is for all times because it's about all time. All right? So the, the, this book is, uh, it's about all time. The past, the present, and the future. Like, it, it's about all time. 
And so that's why it's like so daunting sometimes. And, and the imagery is daunting uh, as well to, to figure out because when you're talking about seven-headed dragons and different things like that, that's not common language that uh, we use. Uh, but, but it's about all time. It's about all time. And then there's a fourth way, a futurist. Now, this is the way that most of us in this room, if you grew up in church, most of us encountered this, this letter in this way, um, that it was about all about the future. And you had to figure out, except for, the, except for the first two chapters, right? But after that, it's just all about the future. Uh, the problem is, is that's not actually how the book is written. But it's not about the future. Is there, is there a piece of it that's about the future? Yes. And we'll talk about that next week. However, it's really about what has transpired in the past and what was going on in the present for uh, the first century uh, people. And so um, when you think about it in, in this way, with, in terms of being a futurist, so Corey, uh, who's on our staff, he, um, he does something that is, is always funny on, on social media. Uh, he always, uh, if he's taking a picture with a friend, so he's single, if he takes a picture with a friend who's a girl, he always like puts out there, like, don't speculate. All right? And so, uh, and, and so, because like what happens when you speculate, you're going to like draw conclusions to something based on a picture that are not true. Right? And so let me just... I don't know if Corey's already trademarked it or not, but technically, uh, like, Jesus told us to not speculate. Okay, now Corey's going to probably run with this and say, like, I'm just saying what Jesus said. But Jesus literally said, like, don't do this. Like, don't speculate. Don't speculate. Let me show you a verse. I'm going to show you two verses. Mark 13, 32, he says this. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Meaning about how all this stuff's going to end. Like, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus is like, don't speculate. Don't try and figure it out. Don't get out a map. Don't try and think, you know, figure out what these symbols mean. Like, don't do it, right? Acts 1-7. It says this. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't what? Speculate. Here's what's funny about when we do this. Jesus, when Jesus says, hey, don't lie, we're always like, don't lie. Yeah. When Jesus is like, don't commit adultery, we're like, don't commit adultery. When Jesus is like, don't judge people, we're like, don't judge people. When Jesus is like, don't speculate about how this is all again, how this is going to end and who's what, and like, don't worry about it. Like, don't be fearful about it. Don't try and figure it out. Don't sell books. Don't write books. Don't do anything about trying to speculate. Like, don't speculate. We're like, got it. <laughs> Got it, Jesus. It makes no sense. And then we get into this over and over and over again. And guess what? 100% of the time, the people that speculate have been wrong. Still buy their books. Still watch the videos. So they're wrong every time. And so he says, don't Speculate. Now, it's easy to get drawn into this. Some of the greatest people in Christianity ever have gotten drawn into this. How many of you guys have heard of Billy Graham? Okay. Billy Graham has probably done, my gosh, he's got to be top five outside of Jesus. He's got to still be top five of like who's done like the most for Christianity, right? And so many things are linked in uh, to Billy Graham. And um, he is a wonderful, wonderful, like, my gosh, is he perfect? No, but... What a pillar in modern Christian faith. 
Um, but even Billy Graham, who, who later kind of moved away from talking like this, um, but in 1949, he literally got up in front of all these people in Los Angeles. I mean, a huge rally of people. In 1949, he said this, the Lord is coming back within the next five years. That's all we've got left. Then in 1950, he got back up to another larger crowd and he goes, I was wrong. Coming back in two years. <laughs> he was wrong. Right? No one's perfect. Get it? And he later, he stopped talking about it like that. He stopped speculating. But we see even some of the greatest people can actually get involved in this. And the reason why we, reason we can kind of go down this road is because we're not staying grounded and just appreciating that the gospel works. We're not staying grounded and appreciating the gospel um, works. Um, gosh, guys, I realized I forgot something earlier about reading Revelations when I said it was dramatic. Let me just go back for just one quick second because I think it's important because it was on the list. When I said that the letter was um, apocalyptic, pastoral, and prophetic, and I, it's also dramatic, okay? Um, how many guys like a good play? This letter was uh, typically, uh, um, just like Jonah was or Daniel was, um, Ezekiel, like it was done in a play format. It was performed. Um, and as you'll see as we read through it um, in the upcoming weeks, I mean, the imagery is insane, and that's why they would do this. But in the dramatic sense, too, um, don't forget, I just want to keep saying this, don't forget, whatever it meant to the first century listener, it also means to us. The meaning did not change. Whatever it meant to the first century listener, it also means to us. The meanings um, did not change. All right, let me go back to about speculation. So even when Billy did this, like, again, it's been common throughout, throughout time. Uh, there's this other thing that people talk about. Um, do you guys remember when they tried to figure out the Antichrist all the time? Like, who's going to be the Antichrist? Um, again, if you're new, new to the Bible, don't worry about the, that part. Um, but what they would try to do, they talk about this evil person that would come and they would like make this description. So everyone always tries to figure out who's going to be, who's going to be, who's going to be, right? And, um, and then they would speculate, doing the very thing Jesus told us not to do. They speculate. Um, it's been the Pope uh, multiple times. Uh, it's been Gorbachev. It's been Obama. It's been JFK. It's been Stalin. It's been Saddam Hussein. Even recently, even recently, there was a book out that in 2016 it was Trump because guess what? 666 plus 666 plus 666 plus 6 plus 6 plus 6 equals 2016. <laughs> and they're like, I mean, it's math, right? Like, so... So, but they've been doing this time and time and time again. And have they ever been right? No. Stop speculating. Don't buy the book. Don't watch the video. Just stop speculating. Even that number 666, right? Like if I were to do this. Oop, the pen's not working. If I did this and I just started to do that, people would freak out. You're like, don't, you can't, don't, right? I'll wipe it clean just so you guys don't. But <laughs> even a friend of mine who's a pastor, he was talking about he was on a flight recently and the flight was 666. And the guy he was uh, uh, riding with looked over at him. He goes, this is it, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, so even, even this number, right? This number that has, has been like, my, we'll, we'll talk about it a little further in a few weeks, but um, a number talks about uh, the 666 number on your, on your wrist and then on your forehead. 
And it's called like the mark of the beast, right? And so people have always tried to figure out the mark of the beast. Um, and I'll get to that too in all these different ways. But even the number 666, people freak out about that number. I've got a friend who has it on his debit card who's just like, man, it's always made me uneasy, right? And, uh, but even uh, that number, it's just fascinating. Uh, so historically, um, letters had uh, numerology, like essentially, they were associated with one, another, with one another. So a letter had like a certain numerical value. And so even 666, um, it adds up to the name of Nero, who was the empire at that time. Here's what's even crazier about it. Not all the manuscripts have the, the, the number 666 in it. So some of them are 616. Now both technically add up to Nero, okay? So even like that number, when people are freaking out, it's like, whoa, it's like, it's not about the number. It's about what it's speaking to. And in, in the end, it's like talking about the empire and the leader of an empire and the leader of, of evil, that what can happen. It's kind of referring to like kind of collectively the kind of leadership in that way. But even like the 666, 616, whatever one it is, it's like, man, we get so like, like, like repulsed by it. You see the fear that's brought in, they've been brought into it and what it can represent. People can take and run with it. Why? Because they start speculating. But here's what's even crazier. This idea of, uh, in, that, in that verse where it talks about, like, on your forehead and on your wrist, like this, this mark that you take, it's not about the actual mark. It's about the fact that it's about our thoughts and our actions. And so what, what John is actually writing in here is, like, our thoughts and our actions were only about what we pledge allegiance to. So what we pledge allegiance to is in our thoughts and our actions. And what John is actually saying here is like, you have to call in the question for all the first century, are you going to pledge allegiance to Rome in your thoughts and in your actions? Just because maybe you can like buy what you need to buy and go along with the culture, whatever. Are you going to pledge allegiance to Rome? Or are you going to pay attention to the Shema that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for me, like we shall love the Lord God with our heart, soul, and strength. Or pay attention to your baptism. See, to early Christians, that was their, their allegiance. Their baptism and the Shema was, was, like, that was their allegiance. And both the Shema and, the, and, and our baptism, what is that? It's our thoughts and our actions, what we're pledging allegiance to. And so John is like, what are you going to pledge allegiance to? Are you going to pledge allegiance to an empire? And so then it calls into question, like, we got to be careful, like, what we pledge allegiance to. What is capturing our thoughts and our actions. It's like, we can use this kind of numerology, but you could also use a flag. Are you going to pledge allegiance to a flag? And listen, there are a lot of flags. There are a lot of flags that are out there right now that people are pledging allegiance to. Not just an American flag. It could be any country's flag. It can be a rainbow flag. It can be a Confederate flag. It can be a lot of different flags that people are pledging allegiance to right now. And what John would say is, as believers, we don't do that because our thoughts and our actions, we pledge allegiance to one God. We pledge allegiance to Jesus, and that is it. See, all of a sudden, it's not about a number. It's about our allegiance and what it means. You guys still with me? Yep. All right. Here are some of the other ways that people have like, used that mark um, just for humor's sake. Um, 2023, currently, it's the palm payment, right? People are like, there it is. That's, if you do that, it's the mark of the beast, and you're, you're done for. And um, I'm like, do you really think it's that easy 
to do that. But in 2020, it was Bitcoin. In 2019, it was vaccine passport. In early 2000s, it was chips and cows. In the 1970s, it was UPC barcodes. In the 1960s, it was Visa and MasterCard. In the 1940s, it's been social security cards. Those have all been things people have been like, oh, it's the mark of the beast, it's the mark of the beast, it's the mark of the beast, right? And it's always been wrong. Now, why do we speculate? Why do we speculate? Let me just highlight two things that I think that are actually good reasons that we speculate. One is that uh, we want to validate our faith, and that's okay. We, we want to be certain about our faith, and so we, want to, we, we inherently speculate because we feel like it makes us more certain about what we believe in. Um, and, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to want to validate our faith and, and be certain about it. It's okay. It's okay. And um, the second reason is, is it taps into this idea of eternity. I think the reason why we love the idea of speculating, we love buying the books, and we love thinking we can figure it out, is because within us, is he, like Ecclesiastes talks about um, how eternity is wired within everybody. That's why, um, how many of you guys have ever been to a funeral? When you go to a funeral, you never think, oh, this feels right. I don't care if you like the person, didn't like the person, whatever. It's like, this doesn't feel right. Like there's something more that's supposed to happen. What is that? That's eternity that's wired inside of us. It's a God-given thing. That's why when people are exploring like this, the, the, the vastness of the world around us, like that's God, like it's a God-given thing. If everything was just by our own human minds, we'd be able to figure it all out. The reason why you wrestle with like your, your existence and all this is because I mean, eternity is wired inside of us. And um, why is it harmful to speculate? Escapism, I said that earlier. You just can't wait to get out of here. Uh, I remember sitting with somebody at one point who said, we're talking about climate change and the environment and taking care of the earth. And, and he just goes, who cares? We're out of here anyway. And I was just like, that feels weird to say when God was like, care for my creation. I don't know all the ins and outs of environment and climate change. Like, I really don't. Like, but it just feels like we should take care of God's creation. But when you kind of, when you speculate, it's like, oh, it can lead to escapism. Arrogance. I mean, think about this. Do we really think that in 2023, God was like, you know what? I'm going to give all the secrets to those people. Not to, not to the people that walked with me, because they don't know anything. I'll just wait a couple of thousand years and I'll let them map it out. Like, it's like arrogant for us to think that we could somehow know something that the first century person did not. Um, we've got a, a foundation of fear um, that's kind of built into this. And you see like uh, books that are written around this, um, making people feel like, man, I, I saw a, a friend post, uh, this is probably four or five months ago, um, posted, I'm sharing my faith right now because I don't know how much longer I'll be able to do it in our country. And I was like, wow, man. That is a sad way to live your faith. I mean, think about it just logically. In the Roman Empire, this is like where there was great persecution and where they came against Christianity. They tried to stomp out Christianity. Guess what? The gospel works. Because where did all the early believers come out of? The Roman Empire. Where did the church come out of? The Roman Empire. Where did the church flourish? In the Roman Empire. Under great persecution, under great, right? And it's like, how did the Roman Empire get toppled over? Christianity. Stay grounded, the gospel works. Don't live in fear. Stay grounded, the gospel works. And when we stay grounded, we see the gospel works. It's like we're not going to live out of fear because we can see the beauty. 
Yeah, it might, it might. It might get tougher here with our faith in the decades to come. It might. But we can still see the beauty of the way God will work, the beauty of things in our country, the beauty of the way God's working in our country. Um, the fourth thing there is it creates civil religion. It creates civil religion. Um, and here's all that's happening when that happens is like there's a merger of the sacred and the secular things, like bringing God into things that we shouldn't be bringing him into, like putting God on money or things like that, or um, uh, Christianizing uh, war in some kind of way. Um, historically, throughout thousands of years, um, in every single kind of uh, um, people grouping, whenever your, your country or your empire beat another country or another empire or whatever, when your people beat another grouping of people in war, guess what you always did? God is on our side. But is that how God works? I remember reading from some Iraqi uh, Christians during um, the Iraqi war, and there was so much from Christianity about how God is on our side. And it was, it was proven because we won the war. And listen, I get war happens and governments have to do certain things. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But, but uh, Iraqi Christians were, I remember reading one guy who was writing, he goes, he was really confusing for those that we were trying to evangelize in our own country when they would see Western Christians saying God was on the side of them while their people were getting killed. He goes, even some of my own family members, this is this, this Christian was right, he's like, even my own, one of my own family, or a couple of my own family members got killed by bombs and they were believing Christians. And so it's like, man, it feels weird when you Christianize war, right? But when sacred and secular emerge, like that's what happens. So the, the, the message of Jesus can get corrupted really easily. Or um, you deify leaders. You deify leaders. I mean, even in our own capital. Um, this is the apotheosis of Washington. I know it's hard to see. But if you go into the Capitol building up in D.C. Um, so this was done. Um, they've deified George Washington. Uh, this was done. This is what they used to do with all the Greek gods and Greek leader, uh, leaders and Roman leaders. And um, if you, you hone in a little further on the picture... Washington looks like this. Um, and in the painting, in the painting, he's, a, he's around all these other gods. And then they have like the 13 colonies and some of them have their backs turned because they've turned, they seceded from the Union. Um, but it, it's like deifying what's going on in our country. And, and like, and I'm going to read to you in just a second here. I'm going over my time. But I, I'm going to read to you in just a second how the Bible actually says to not do that. Um, but, like, we've done it here. Well, would, why, how does that happen? It's a merger of sacred and secular. It's a merger of sacred and secular. And, and when that happens, like, we deify things and we put, put divinity on people that we never should, and, and the message gets uh, muddied uh, really quickly. Let me ask you this. Is the American story the Christian story? No. That's a super easy answer. Now, is part of the American story, has Christian influenced the American story? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of really good from that that other places have never experienced. And so we celebrate those things. But the American story is not the Christian story. The American story is not the biblical story. And so we've got to understand that like, Revelation is speaking into all of this stuff just like it did for the first century listeners. So let me end with this. Revelation 1. So the revelation from who? So this is all about Jesus, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. 
That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, because the time is near. And so all he's saying right here is like, we can understand what this is about. If we have ears to hear, like we can, we can, we can know what John is trying to write here. And he's like, the time is near. And what he's not, he's not saying like, man, the end is coming right now. He, what he's saying is, the time is near for all these things I'm talking about, like what you're living in. I just, you just have to be ready at all times. Like be on guard. Be sober in your judgment. Like, like understand, like follow the testimony and the words of Jesus because it keeps you on guard and keeps you away from harm. So John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace, that's how he started letters, to you from who, who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits uh, before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is like he's talking about the gospel message. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Then he says this, Look, he who is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Yeah, even those who pierced him and all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. He says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, who was and who, or who is, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In this verse, in, in what I just read, so let me just give you an example. John references Exodus 3, Exodus 19, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 19, 40, uh, 40, uh, Isaiah 19, 41, 43, 44, 48, 49, Psalm 18, 89, Daniel 2 and 7, Zechariah 4 and 12. And he calls out all Greek philosophy, including Zeus. And what he does there, when he references the Alpha and the Omega, and the Omega he's taking a direct shot at, at the Roman leaders and Zeus himself. He's saying, listen, there's only one God that you deify. That's just Jesus. So if you're going to put George Washington up and make deify, let me tell you, that's against the Bible. You don't do that. And you don't pledge allegiance to that in that way of thinking. You don't do stuff like that. And so John is calling out the behaviors of the Roman people, the behaviors of the empire, and saying like this, who is Babylon? And how has Babylon influenced you? And that's what this is all going to be about. But the most important thing, the most important thing, and we'll appreciate the beauty of America, we'll appreciate the beauty of what we have, but we're going to challenge ourselves throughout this whole series to be like, hold on, am I staying grounded and do I fully appreciate that the gospel works? Because that's what it's really about. Let's pray. God, we realize that um, for most people in the room, we bring a lot with this letter um, because of how we were raised or uh, maybe a certain perspective. And, and it doesn't mean all the perspective is wrong or anything. It's just, God, we want to be challenged in this series to um, seek your heart out, to seek out what you want for us, um, to be open-handed and have ears to hear what you want us to, to hear. But that, God, the most important piece that we have got to start with is that we need to stay grounded. The gospel works. 
stayed grounded because who was and who is and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, is the one we pledge allegiance to. So we don't worry about signs. We don't, are not fearful about what's going on around us. We want to live out our faith because the gospel works. And we can stay grounded and be courageous and resilient and hopeful, optimistic, and be a light in the midst of the darkness that is around us because the gospel works. And God, I realize that today might have been a lot for folks just getting introduced to faith and the Bible and everything. God, I just pray that um, even there, as they're kind of entering in and taking steps into this, um, that there'll be this full awareness that eternity has been placed in their hearts by you. Um, that you want them to see the beauty of who you are. Uh, the message um, of your love and grace and forgiveness and hope that can only come through you. And we give this to you in your name. We pray, everyone said, amen, amen. Um, before you guys hop on out of here, if you'd like prayer with anyone, um, We'll have folks on either side of the stage. Uh, if, if you're new, we'd love to meet you. Um, discipleship signups are happening right now. And uh, to my men, my men, all the men say, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe that's not why you're signing up for discipleship. Um, to all the men say, yeah. yeah. That's better. Um, sign up for discipleship. It's worth your while. Um, and, uh, and so um, some of you already have. It's great. Um, but there's some spots still left over. It's filling up very fast. And there's only two weeks left to sign up. But, um, so sign up for discipleship. If you've got questions, you can stop by and talk to them uh, on your way out here this morning. Um, love you guys so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday. And we'll see you next week.